For our scripture reading this afternoon, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, a very well-known portion of scripture. Isaiah chapter 40, and I want to read the first 11 verses. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning to read at verse 1 to the end of verse 11. This is the word of God. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem, cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain shall and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Would you also turn with me in the back of your Psalter hymnal to the Catechism, Lord's Day 1, Lord's Day 1, I find that on page 872, in the back of my Psalter hymnal, page 872, Lord's Day 1, and I'm going to read the entire Lord's Day, but I'm going to focus only on question and answer 1, Lord's Day 1, question and answer 1, we will do question and answer 2 at a later date. Not sure when, but I was taught this afternoon to say it will be ready when it's ready. And then we will have Lord's Day 1, question and answer 2. Lord's Day 1, question and answer 1. And I remind you, this is your confession of faith as it is mine. So, congregation, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Thus far the reading of the word of God and the summary of that word as we find it in the creeds and confessions of the church. Once again may God add his blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the preaching of the word again this afternoon. 
beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This afternoon it is our privilege to once again begin a new series of sermons on that great treasure given the church 400 years ago known as the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism was designed for the same purpose for which we still use it today. 400 years ago those leaving the Roman Catholic Church were virtually ignorant about the contents of the Bible. Rome, you see, had told them that the Bible was not intended for the ordinary man and woman in the pew, and so it became a closed book for the laity. However, one of the great tenets of the Reformation held that the Bible was intended for ordinary believers and to help them to discover that which was necessary to make them wise unto salvation at the instruction of Frederick III, two young theologians, Caspar Olivanus and Zacharias Urzinus, were commissioned to draft a confession which could be used in all the churches as a tool for instruction, theological instruction. And the Catechism was given us as a compass, if you will, to direct us systematically through the mysteries of the Christian faith as they are given us in Scripture. And although it certainly was the product of the two professors, Recognizing the need to determine the conformity of the document to scripture, it was carefully examined and approved by all the faithful churches, and then it was agreed that all the churches in common would use this document to instruct and to arrive at a common, united confession. And it is for that reason that already at the Synod of Dort, 1618-1619, it was adopted as one of our three forms of unity. In other words, what is confessed here is confessed by all faithful Reformed churches in common. Then further, in 1586, at the General Synod of the Reformed Churches, it was agreed that the Catechism would be preached and taught systematically in all the churches each Lord's Day. Every church worthy of being called a Reformed Church adopted that rule, and the churches began to systematically uh, teach their congregations the doctrines held by all the Reformed Churches in common. And that practice served to not only unify the churches, but it also safeguarded that the whole counsel of God would be proclaimed from year to year. You see, when ministers are instructed by the elders to preach the catechism systematically, it ensures that all the doctrines are explained and proclaimed regularly. It, it doesn't allow the minister the freedom to simply preach what he, the text that he likes. And so if you will allow me a brief interjection in connection with catechism preaching, wonder, one wonders what happens to that doctrinal instruction when churches, as we've seen in our recent history, when churches abandon a second service on the Lord's Day. It seems to me, it seems to be clear that, 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 that clear, consistent, systematic doctrinal preaching has to be abandoned when a second service is discontinued. All the great impoverishment to the great impoverishment of the church and her members. As church, we too here in Bowmanville, we've held to the tradition of faithfully, regularly, and consistently preaching the catechism, being convinced that in so doing, the whole counsel of God is rightly divided for the edification of the church. And now this afternoon, we have the privilege to once again start at Lord's Day 1, to dig up treasures old and new from God's storehouse of wealth.
We listened to the scriptures this afternoon following the summary of the catechism under the leading of the Holy Spirit, using as our theme, our only comfort. We will see that our only comfort is, first of all, our redemption through the Son. Then we will see that our comfort is our safekeeping through the Father. And then we will see that our comfort is our assurance through the Holy Spirit. So our only comfort, redemption through the Son, safekeeping through the Father, and assurance through and by the Holy Spirit. Congregation, the opening salvo of the catechism is crystal clear. It goes to the, immediately to the heart of Christianity and to the very heart of every Christian. What is your only comfort? It's the same question that is often asked by elders at their annual home visits, and unfortunately, then the answer is often skirted around and answered in vague generalities. Many people still seem to be unwilling or perhaps even unable to give a good account of that hope that lies within them. And notice with you that the question is not, (coughs) what is our comfort? No, it is, what is your comfort? It's a personal question, inquiring about the content of your personal faith. In context now, before we attempt to formulate our answer, we need to listen carefully to the question. The question inquires of our comfort in life and in death. The context is significant. You see, he or she who finds his comfort in the things of the temporal, example, eat, drink, and be married for, or be given in marriage, we need to remember that these things are of a temporary duration. In other words, that kind of happiness, that kind of comfort, if you will, it ceases at the grave. Many people have forgotten that the question concerns comfort in life and death, and they seek happiness for this life only. But my dear people of God, there is no true happiness in the things of this world. The world holds no comfort for us in life, much less can it offer us anything in death. No matter where you seek it, apart from the only comfort that exists from God in Jesus Christ, there can be no lasting joy and, 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 and our hearts will remain a, a gnawing void, cold. But more seriously yet, without that particular comfort of which the catechism speaks, it will be required of you to stand alone before your God. Alone meaning then without the intercession of Jesus Christ on your behalf. In that case we speak not only of a temporal death, a temporary separation between body and soul, but we then speak also of an eternal death, an an eternal separation from God. And is now an answer to that question, an answer to that question that the scripture summarized by the catechism holds up hope for you and for me. That That is now the hope spoken of by the prophet Isaiah in our text of this afternoon. And all, those, and all those who know of that eternal comfort, they burst into song with the prophet when they hear him saying, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Speak ye peace, thus saith our God. Tell her that her warfare now is over. Tell her that her sins I cover. What is your only comfort? That I in body and soul and life and a death I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the comfort, to be the possession of a faithful Savior. What does that mean, and why is that ownership important? Follow with me. 
Apart from the grace of God, we belong to ourselves. We are our own possession. That holds little comfort for us. To, to belong to ourselves holds no comfort. In and of ourselves, we cannot maintain life for our body or soul for even a moment. In and of ourselves, we cannot break the shackles of the bondage of sin. In and of ourselves, we cannot break the bond of death. What a privilege then to be able with heart and mouth to exhort the confession before us. I am not my own. No, I belong to Christ. Praise be to God. I have been delivered from myself. Praise be to God. For the Lord has broken the chains that enslaved me in sin. Praise be to God. He has rescued me from myself. And now I belong to him. And my dear people of God, as we continue to expound upon and systematically explain the catechism from Lord's Day to Lord's Day, if the Lord wills, we will hear that by birth we became children of our parents. But by rebirth, we became children, sons and daughters of God. And that now is the question around which all of this question and all of the following questions in the catechism revolve. That now is the pivotal question. Let me explain. There are many people who wish to die in Christ, who have as yet no desire to live in Christ. Modern men and women wish to go to heaven in the sweet by and by. But while they're here on earth, they will still refuse to give their life to Christ. In other words, while they live, they wish to remain their own Lord and Master, captain of their own souls. But that will be impossible. God made it possible for man to be released from sin. God made it possible to be delivered from ourselves. God made it possible to be delivered from the clutches of Satan. And in order to effect that deliverance, he gave up his only begotten son in order that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have life everlasting. But now, although Christ stands ready to save and to receive us, he will not settle for only part of us. And therefore the words, I am not my own, but in body and soul, I belong to Christ. Both our body and our souls belong to him. They are his possession. His death was in order to redeem both body and soul. Therefore it will not be possible to serve him part time or piecemeal. For if, for if Christ has taken possession of the heart, then the entire being, body and soul, is quickened by the Holy Spirit of God and begins to live for Christ. To say then that I belong to Christ while at the same time failing to live for him constitutes nothing less than sheer hypocrisy. We need to remember that. We need to understand that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then to profess to loving him while refusing to obey him doesn't make you a believer. It makes you a hypocrite. But the confession goes on to read that not only do we belong to him in body and soul, but we belong to him body and soul in life and in death. The question then embraces not only this life, but also the next. Do you understand what that means? It means that for the Christian, eternal life is ours already now. It means that even though the storms of life would threaten to consume him, the child of God, even through his veil of tears, confesses with conviction, though the earth be moved, though the mountains are cast into the sea, I will not fear, for thou art with me. 
And for the Christian, it means that he personally takes us by the hand. He leads us not only through this life, but even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is still there. Even beyond the grave, he is still there. It means that having passed through the valley of death, we will stand with him before the judgment seat of God as Christ's possession. It means then we will then hear God's judgment, but we will hear God speak those comforting words, I find no fault in him. Enter into my eternal rest. People of God, that's the comfort. That's the comfort of which the catechism speaks. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. There you have it. There you have it. A price needed to be paid for our sin. And that price was paid with the precious blood of Christ. God's justice spoke to us already in paradise. On the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And God's justice demanded that our sins would be paid, either by ourselves or by another. And here we learn that our sins were indeed paid for. We learn that God's justice for our sins was, were met completely. Life is ours now and forever. How? Through the precious atoning blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, congregation, someone who has intimate knowledge of these things, uh, the, the child of God who has experienced this grace of God personally can speak of that blood in no other way than to call it precious, precious blood of Christ. He has given his precious blood. He has given his precious life blood in order to save a fallen humanity that could not save itself. Capture with me what is being taught us here. When God opens his books in the heavens... And he goes down the list of every single one of us in that book. When he goes down the list to every one of us out of that entire human race, then when he comes to your name and to mine, he will read there, it is finished. To use figurative language, God himself has dipped his finger in the precious blood of Christ and he has written on the balance sheet beside your name in that book of life. He has written, paid in full. How do we formulate words to describe that great gift? How can people be silent about such joy? But now capture also with me the humility of the confession. We do not read as does the Arminian, that Christ supplements my obedience. We do not read that because I did my part, therefore Christ now did his part and made up the difference. No, listen to the confession. He has fully paid for all my sins. Peter, God, I never tire of instructing you in this precious truth. So many of us fail to grasp the full implication of this comfort because we continue to try to earn it, at least in part by ourselves. It will never be possible. To do so is to offend Christ. You cannot earn or work for your salvation. You cannot earn Christ's favor. You can do precisely, as we heard this morning, you can do precisely nothing towards you becoming the possession of Christ. It's, it's not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what I say or do can give me peace with God. Not all my sighs or tears can bear my awful load. No, not one iota 
can we contribute towards this gift of Christ's precious blood? He has fully paid, fully paid for all my sins. And that too the Catechism wants to emphasize. We're taught here to seek all of our comfort and our contentment in that Lamb of Righteousness. Listen to the jubilation of the Confession as it adds the glorious words, He has set me free. Free from what? Free from the tyranny of the devil. Capture this with me. When we confess to have been freed from the tyranny of the devil, that is not to say that now in the life of the Christian, Satan no longer has any influence. No, that's not what the Bible teaches us. In fact, the very opposite is true. The more we seek to follow him, the more aggressively Satan will work to cause us to fail and to fall. No, what the scripture wants us to know here is that Satan now no longer has dominion over us. Because we belong to Christ, God, not Satan, will have the last word over us. But it means even more. To be freed from the tyranny of Satan also means that sin no longer dominates our hearts or colors our lives. No, now the sin of a Christian... It's against his will. He hates his sin. He flees from it. And each falling and each failing troubles him, grieves him deeply. Oh, the child of God glories in the grace of God, and he boasts not of his own self-righteousness. No, he falls on his knees. He buries his face in his hands, and he worships God in humble thanksgiving at that great gift of God of the forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. That now is the comfort. That's the comfort for which the catechism speaks, first of all. That's his comfort in the redemptive work of the Son. But I have even more good news for you. Even more reason for Christian comfort is given here. The catechism goes on to tell us not only of the redemption through the Son, but we're taught here also the safekeeping by the Father. We read in the words of our text, he also watches over me. He watches over me in such a way. He watches, imagine that, imagine that. Erzinus in his commentary describes this love of the Father in this way. He does not leave us on our own, but as a faithful shepherd, he keeps us in his care. Praise God for that care. If the Lord was to withdraw his hand from us, even for only a moment, there would be no hope. And that is now precisely what God promises us in Christ. Do we not hear Jesus saying in John 6, 39, This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of all he has given me, all the people that he has given me, I should lose not one of them, but raise it up on the last day. But the Catechism also teaches us how the Father preserves his own. Listen to the confession again. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Capture this with me. Having cut ourselves off from God already in the garden in paradise, (coughs) and now having become the possession of Christ, we have been, through Christ, reunited with the Father. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God, and we are once again his children. He is once again our Father. And Christ now leads his own to the Father. And he has taken us and every believer by the hand, as it were. 
and he has introduced us personally to the Father and reunited us to him, with him. That's now the comfort of which the Catechism speaks. We're given to know that because we belong to him, nothing, nothing can happen to us without the will of your Father. Understand this well. God has not promised us a pleasant journey on this life. And some of you can testify to that clearly, some more than others. God has not promised us a pleasant journey. Many will yet be the trials and the sorrows of the child of God. For God has never promised that there would be no anxiety, but he has promised a safe arrival. Oh, indeed, many hairs can and will fall from our heads as we weave our way through the complexities of life. But, 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 and hear this well with me. Not a hair can fall from my head without the will of the Father. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. My dear, precious, precious people of God, here we're given answer to all of the whys in this life. When we struggle with sickness and pain or temptation or hardship, anxiety, even terminal illness, our own or that of a precious loved one, when we then ask the question, why, Lord, the, the answer is given to you here in our confession. All things, prosperity, adversity, sickness, health, come to us not by chance, but from Father's loving hand in order to draw us closer to himself. In other words, I am given to eat the bread of adversity for my salvation. Then finally the Catechism teaches us assurance through the Spirit. Listen to the words with me. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of salvation. Follow carefully with me as we capture the full impact of this statement. All of this comfort which we have learned here profits you precisely nothing unless you know to be yours personally. Walk with me. What, what possible advantage does it have for the starving millions in the East to know that there is an abundance of food in the West? Absolutely nothing. The same is true for us here. We can speak of and we can learn of this comfort, but unless you know it to be yours personally, it will be of no advantage to you. And therefore, in order to further bless us, we read the promise of God that Christ, by his Spirit, assures me of eternal life. Here we are taught that assurance, that, that conf confession, and, and that confesses and acknowledges that although I once was lost, I am now found. I am Christ's possession. All of my sins have been forgiven. All of my sins have been nailed to the cross and I bear them no more. It is well. It is forever well with my soul. That assurance is given us by the Spirit of Christ. His Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of the living God. Not will be, not maybe, someday, no. Already now, already now we are children of the Father in Christ. My dear precious saints of God, so much comfort is given us here. Our hearts have been lifted up to God as the catechism piled comfort upon comfort upon comfort for the believing child of God. But an important question remains, and it is this. 
How can we know that the promise of eternal life is ours? And how can we know that the promise is authentic and a deed from him? Perhaps more specifically, how can I know that these promises are for me? After all, do we not read that even Satan can appear as an angel of light? And how, how, how can we know that we're not being deceived or that we're deceiving ourselves? And again, the catechism doesn't leave us in the dark. We read, by his spirit, he assures me of eternal life. Yes, yes, yes. And he makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. There you have it. Capture this with me. Having this comfort of which we have spoken this afternoon, it has consequences. It brings with it a radical change in the life of the believer. By nature, we were prepared to live for ourselves. But now, but now, being in possession of the Spirit of Christ, all of that has become different. I now, I live for Him. It is now when that evidence is found within our lives that we may know and will know that we have been rescued from death's dark dominion and we have been given to Christ. It is now no longer me, but it is the Christ who lives in me. People of God, search now for a moment. Search your own heart and life. What lives there? No, I say that wrong. Who lives there? The answer to that question is determined by the evidence of your life and your conduct. If Christ lives there, you will do the things of Christ. And then all that is said and done, even the inclinations of our heart, are offered to God's glory and to, for his honor. And if such fruit is absent, if it is, if it is not your desire to live for him, if you still seek your own interests, then you will need to confess and repent of that because until you do, the world and the church has the right and the obligation to question your very Christianity. But even with all of the sin that still clings to you against your will, if with all of the sin that still clings to you against your will, if you will nonetheless strive to, to live for him every waking moment of your day, if every day, despite your failure, you seek to trust, obey, and serve him as an expression of gratitude for what God has done for you in Christ, then God gives to me the blessed privilege to remind you of his promise that all those given by the Father to the Son, out of all of a fallen humanity, not one of them, not even you, can ever be lost. No, for in body and soul, in life and in death, you are no longer your own. Oh no, you belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all your sin. And since you belong to him, nothing, <coughs> nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ. Not the gates of hell can prevail against you, and not even Satan himself can snatch you out of his palm, the palm of his hand. And therefore, eternal life is yours already now. How blessed, how truly happy is the man and the woman, of course, whose only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, 
but I belong to God through Christ. Only those who possess such comfort can say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree does not bud, and though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior because I now and forever belong to him. Yes, I will rejoice and be joyful in God my Savior. May that be for each of us and our children. Shall we pray? Father, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul.